about the book of, of Psalms, and especially chapter 86. This is the only psalm in book three, uh, the way the psalms are divided, that is attributed to David. Uh, he has written several, but this is one in this particular book. And I believe David wrote this psalm for a very special reason. I believe it's placed here for a very special reason. When you take a look at it, and I'm going to share uh, looking at the screen with you a little bit because I don't have notes that fit exactly the way I'm going to show them to you on the screen, so I will share. Um, is it not coming on? I don't know, Mitch. I guess I turned the thing off. Oh, sorry. It is now on. He turned it on for me and said, you're ready to go. I wasn't quite ready. He didn't know me. Now, you can hear me? Boy, thank you. If he was having trouble hearing me, we are in real trouble back there, aren't we? This psalm is a great one. Um, this psalm is like a mosaic that David took pieces of Scripture here and there and put them together in a fantastic uh, form of a psalm that we have. And when we take a look at all that is there, we are blessed to see David's way of praying. Now, I'm thinking if I pointed to one or two people in this room that pray a lot here, and I said, could somebody in this room tell me a phrase they use almost every time they pray? You could do it, couldn't you? We tend to say some of the same things over and over and over again. One of the great men in my background is a guy named Prentice Johnson. I did his funeral, I don't know how many years ago now, but he was one of the leaders of a little country church that I attended. I can hear him closing his prayer with this phrase, Lord, help us to live life in view of eternity. Now, I've heard people say that in prayer, and it's not anything novel, is it? And there were probably some people that would say, man, can't he think of anything else to say? You ever hear anybody fuss about people having these old stodgy prayers that just, we say the same thing and they can't be any good? Oh, yes, they can. Oh, yes, they can. What we need is not originality. Clyde Woods, almost every time he leads a prayer, he starts with the words of the psalmist. Oh, Lord, our Lord. How excellent is your name in all the earth. Now, I'm telling you this. I, in fact, in the last 10 years, I've gotten to know Clyde Woods better than I ever have, and I've known him since 1965. I'm telling you, he's crying out to the Lord and letting him know what he thinks of the Lord's name. How excellent is your name in all of the earth. That is what we need. If my good friend Prentice Johnson really meant for every one of us in this room, if he were here leading a prayer, if he meant God, please help every person in this room to live life in view of eternity, every one of us would be blessed by that prayer. Shouldn't grow old because the reality is so, oh, so great. What we have here is the earnest, heartfelt cry, 
crying to God because the guy that's praying is in a desperate situation. Today at lunch, some of the preachers at Estes, excuse me, I get fired at Henderson. Preachers at Henderson get together at lunch on Wednesday and Bill and Mary's son, Billy, was there. There's been a death in the family. There were four tables lined up with people all around it. I had just gotten back from a long, long walk in time to get to there, and I am sweaty. My, both of my hairs were stuck to my head. They were so sweaty. And I'm sitting there eating, and we're talking about things at the Henderson Church, and Billy gets up and says, Brother Roy, would you come over here and lead a prayer for us? What a great blessing. What a great honor to go over and lead a prayer for people who are struggling because of a death that has just occurred. That's what David is doing in a sense, crying out to God because he's in a difficult setting here. Now, there are 15 requests in this prayer. You can go back and read them. I'm not going to share each one of them with you. But there are 15 requests. If you started a prayer right now on your behalf, what would you say to God? What would be request number one? And number two, I'm going to guess that if you're like me, most of your prayers end way before request number 15. And those of you that know me know full well there are more than 15 things I ought to be praying about with regard to me and my life and my family. But you see, we don't get it. We don't get there. We don't get it done. We seem to think, man, I've got this real problem and I pray about this one thing and I'm through and I'm ready to go. And so we quit or we fall asleep if it's at night, or if it's in the morning and we wake up and we think about our prayer, then we have trouble because we've got all kinds of things to do today and a big day ahead of us. There are 15 requests in four sections. The first section in verses 1 through 7, David cries out in great need for God to hear him. Have you ever said, God, please listen to me, Please listen to me. I remember one time when Amy Bennett was just a little bitty girl, her dad, Cliff, that most of you know. He was dean of students, and I was sitting there, and she would come into my office. And on this occasion, I had gotten a letter from a parent, and Cliff had gotten a little salty with a student because the student had been very, very salty with him. In fact, Cliff told me later, he said, I got up and I put my hand on the desk and I leaned over to him and I was telling him exactly how he should hear what I was saying. Well, this mama didn't like that. And she wrote me and she said, this guy didn't treat my son well. Could you talk to him? Straighten him out. So I had this letter in my hand. Amy's sitting in my lap. I hand the letter to Cliff and I say, Cliff, would you deal with this? He's sitting there reading the letter. Amy takes her hands and puts on my face and turns my face toward hers. And she's about three or four years old. And she says, why can't you do that? Why does my daddy have to do that? You see, she wanted me to hear, I'm taking care of my daddy. You're making him work when you could do that. 
Do you ever, as it were, take God, put your hands on His face, turn your face toward His and say, please listen to me. I have things going on in my life that I can't deal with by myself and I need your help. Please help me. So David is crying out for God to hear him and not just to hear him, but to act. To do something about the circumstances that David is crying out to God about. It's not a matter of just saying, well, listen, God, I've got a few things here I want to talk to you about. And in our mind and heart, we may be saying, I know it's not going to do any good, but I'm going to say it anyway because you know what? Oh, Roy Sharp said in a sermon, you ought to be preaching and telling God what's on your heart. So here I go. It won't do any good, but I keep on thinking about my friend Hoyt Kirk telling about that Perry County philosophy. And they were talking about prayer and how we ought to believe in prayer and we ought to pray for rain because it hasn't rained in a long time and those farmers in Perry County needed some rain. This old boy out at Flatwoods, Tennessee, Hoyt said, got up and said, well, I tell you what, I'm going to pray for rain, but it ain't going to rain as long as that wind's coming out of the east. You see, that's the way we do many prayers. We have our idea of what it's going to take to get it to rain and we don't trust God and we don't think God is going to act. In verses 8 through 10, David just openly, deliberately praises God and he gives God a lot of credit. He just extols the name of God in a very special, special way. In fact, he's not just the Lord of David. He's not just the Lord of Estes or Henderson or Chester County or Tennessee or America. He's the God of nations. And David recognizes him as that. And so as we pray and we look at our world situation, there are circumstances that we need to pray about. And David, in his own setting, he knows that this is not just about me because, you see, some of the pressures and problems and bad people that David is referring to, they're out there in other countries. It's not just right there in Jerusalem or the city wherever David is where he's praying. There are nations involved, and God is the God of nations. Then in verses 11 through 13, we have uh, David asking God to teach him. You want God to teach you? He's asking God to teach him his way. You see, my prayers are somewhat like this. Okay, God, I've got a few minutes here, and I'm going to talk to you. And I'm going to let you know how things ought to be. I'm going to tell you what needs to be done, and then I'm going to go to work, and I expect those things to be done the way I'm telling you they ought to be done when I get home. I want things done my way. I want it done in my time. And as we think about what David is helping us think about, we need some teaching about God's way. We need to let other people know that life doesn't work exactly the way I want it to. So we pray for somebody that's really sick and they die. We want to say, come on, God. What are you thinking? I'm a good boy. What a good boy. I went to church last Sunday morning, Sunday night. I even went Wednesday night and I listened to the sermon and I prayed and you're not letting me have what I want. What is going on? So we have David understanding. 
He's not the dictator of the way his life is to unfold. He's asking God for help, and he's asking God to teach him his way to unite his heart to fear God's name so that he will glorify his name forever. God's name doesn't scare many people in America today, does it? We hear people using God's name in so many different ways. It doesn't engender a lot of respect. It engenders a lot of criticism. A lot of circumstances bring about difficulties in talking about God. But what about us? We are God's people. When we use the name God, how does that affect the way we think about what we're saying? How does that affect the way we feel about what we're doing and who we're with and what our plans are? David needs his heart united with God's heart. And when it is, David understands that he's going to not only just respect God, he's going to fear God in terms of understanding and knowing what God might do to him. And so he is seeking God's help there. And then this fourth section of this psalm, David's got a lot of enemies. It started before he really took control of the nation. Saul was trying to kill him. And there were all kinds of people. As you read the story, David's life is under pressure all day long. And David understands that. And he appeals to God's mercy and God's grace to deliver him. When you look at how the people treated David, remember the song the women sang when David came back? Saul kills his thousands, David kills his ten thousands. Boy, David's probably flexing, you know, showing his pecs and his lats, you know. He's just really, no, he doesn't. He flexes his spiritual muscles. And he says, God, help me. Help me understand your way. Help me unite my heart with yours and give me the grace and the mercy that it's going to take to deliver me. So these 15 requests are seen here. Now, why should we pray tonight? Why did we take the time to let Jeremy lead us in prayer tonight? Because we're just like David. There's not a person in this room who does not have great needs. Yours are different from mine. And I may have more than you do, but every one of us has great needs. That's the first reason David is talking in this psalm about praying. He's got problems to deal with. His life is not easy. There are troublesome things, troublesome people, troublesome circumstances He's got it all around him. He has such great needs. Now, in chapter 86 and verse 1, look at what he says. Incline your ear, O Lord. Answer me. I'm afflicted and needy. Is that you tonight? Is that how you go to God in prayer when you look at your life and you know If there are things that you need to do better, you need to be better at, you need people in your life and you're not willing, relationships are falling apart and your heart is breaking, 
you have children or a spouse or parents or somebody that just is not listening to God at all. David understood where he was, afflicted and needy, and he's begging God to listen. So we come here, and David knew that he couldn't save himself. He couldn't save himself. So he turns to the only one that can save him. The only one. Got brilliant people in this room. Strong people, emotionally, psychologically, physically, spiritually. We're like David. We cannot save ourselves. And so if we're going to do what we need to do, we're going to cry out to God because he's the only one that can extend the grace and mercy that all of us need and that has the possibility to help us. He's in a day of trouble. I'm going to guess. I don't know how many people we got in the room, but we got enough for at least one of you to have had a day of trouble in some way. It might have just been between your ears. It might have been just between you and another person. But I'm going to guess there's at least one person in this room that has had a day of trouble. If you've had a day of trouble today, this is one fantastic psalm to go back and read. First of all, to beg God to hear you. To beg God to understand that you're willing to turn loose of your will and let His will be done. Think about how many relationship problems could be helped and solved if both parties would say, Let's let God take control of our lives by both of us doing what God would have us to do. But you see, that's hard for me because I'm selfish. I'm stubborn. I'm right. I've accomplished a few things in life. I can get this on my own and I don't need help. David, thank God, understood And as we have God's word for us, we have David's encouragement to think in the way that we need to think. Now, a band of arrogant men were seeking his life. We don't know all that they were arrogant about, but the men that are seeking his life aren't seeking the God that's the God of their nation. They are thinking their king. I've been reading in the book of 2 Kings, the Rabshakeh is outside of Jerusalem. He says, you go tell Hezekiah this. Not one nation that we've come to has had a God that's been able to deliver them. You think your God's going to be able to deliver you from our hand? We got you, just like we had all of the other nations. Here is an arrogant man that God sends back home and he dies back home. He never sets a foot in Jerusalem. He never does any of the things that he pops off about, as we say, arrogant men are out there. David had some of those kind of arrogant men after him. Why should we pray? 
There are a lot of great reasons that we ought to be praying. Now, all of us have great needs. So, why do we not pray as we ought to? I don't think there's a person in this room that would stand up and say, listen, I prayed so much this week, I just know God got tired of hearing me. I prayed way more than I needed to. I prayed way, 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 way more than I had to. We just don't say those kinds of things. Why? Because they ain't so. We just don't pray enough. So, as we think about the reasons that we should pray, I wish we had time to let you tell me what you think about why we don't pray, but we need to move uh, a little bit here. Sometimes, I don't know about you, I'm talking about me. You have to decide about you. Pride is a big deal. I need to be right. I need to be first. I need to be thought about. I need to win. I need, and I need, and I need. You see, some of my great needs are not really great needs for me. But I make them so because of my pride. I demand God to let me be who I want to be, do what I want to do, fix things the way I want them fixed. Our pride gets in the way, and we think we don't need God, and we move in the way that we want to move instead of the way that he moves us. We rely on ourselves a lot. I do. Try to fix things. I don't know why, but I just have this idea. I need to step into this situation because I think I can help. And boy, sometimes my nose gets so flat as it gets mashed when I should not be where I am. But I think I can fix them. Yes. I think that is a fantastic statement. That's me. And I believe it would be all of you sometimes as we think about the way that we work and the way that we live life. Now, you see, I had a Bible study with a guy that was coming to Henderson to church. He's an older man. His wife, remember, he's not... We had a study, and I thought, wow, this guy is doing great. I mean, he really is getting this. He understands. And we got to where we needed to see if he had a decision to be made. Well, he didn't want to be baptized. And he didn't give a reason for it, but we're sitting there talking, and I didn't want to put any undue pressure on him. But as we're sitting there, his wife said, Roy, I think I know why he doesn't want to be baptized. And I said, really? Why do you think he doesn't want to be baptized? She said, because he already believes he's a good man. And you see, if I were talking, if somebody asked me to describe this guy, I'd say, he's a good guy. He's a good man. 
You know, he pays his debts. He's friendly. He's kind. He's thoughtful. He's helpful. He's a good man. But I'm telling you this. Go back and read the story of the rich young ruler. When the rich young ruler is asked, why do you call me good? Only one is good, and that is God. The only way you and I can be good in the way that really, really counts forever is to be made good by God, to be cleaned up by God, to have our sins washed away and forgiven and stand justified whole before God without spot, without blemish. And you see, that's a description of every one of you in this room tonight who is faithful to God. Isn't that neat? That is one of the greatest blessings about being a Christian, to be able to see yourself like that, not because you're good, but because God is good. That's the key. You see, sometimes we have people that just think that they're really good already. And then sometimes we do all that we know to do. We fix everything that we can fix. And then, boy, there's just not anything left to do. So I'm going to pray to God. I'm going to see if God can fix it. That's a little, little over my head. Let me call on God. There are people who think like that. And it's not a regularity in prayer that they choose. It is a last resort kind of thing that people choose. And God is trying to help us see the first thing you need to do is see what God's will is to pray that God will unite your heart with his heart so that you can see his will and do his will and let him do the things that he does that you and I cannot do. Prayer should never, not ever be a last resort. And then, as Christians, we just seem oblivious to the power of the devil. I'm pretty confident that there's at least one person in this room who was not a Christian when you married a Christian. but you are now. Aren't you glad you married a Christian? But we seem oblivious to the fact that the devil is looking for us to be drawn away. And the reality is, if you look at the reality of life, the statistics that are available, those people that marry non-Christians way more go the other way than toward the Lord. And we're oblivious to the difficulties that we face in relationships where people are not united in Christ. It's a difficult walk. It's a tough life. And we need to be thoughtful. The kind of people that we're around, the kind of stories that we hear, sometimes the kind of stories we choose to tell, we just don't give the devil enough credit. And we should. Because, you see, God says, like a roaring lion, going about seeking whom he may devour. God says that he disguises himself sometimes as an angel of light or he's a sweet, gentle little lamb instead of that wolf that can devour you spiritually. We just don't pay enough attention to the devil and the power of the devil. We often refuse to cast our anxieties on the Lord. 
we forget, we just forget to remember that the devil is seeking whom he may devour. This is such a powerful passage to me because you see in chapter uh, 5 here in verse 7, this is a neat thing. Cast all your anxieties on the Lord. Why? He cares for you. He really, really cares for you. And so he wants you to cast those anxieties on the Lord. I'm going to ask you to think about, have you done that? The load of problems and troubles and trials, have you done everything you can do to lay those on the master's back and let him carry them? So many times we're like this old farmer back in the wagon pulled by horse days. This old man was walking along the road, had a heavy pack, and this guy's driving by in uh, on a wagon with a team of horses pulling, and he drives up by this guy and says, hey, I want to ride, need some help. That pack looks heavy. The man said, oh, I am so glad you stopped. The old man gets on the wagon. The old guy gets the horses going again, and he looks back, and the old man is standing there on the wagon with the pack still on his back. You see, he had a wagon that he could have taken that pack off and laid on the wagon but he chose to stand and still bear the burden that he had on his back. I'm going to guess somebody's in this room like that tonight. Still got those burdens. You're not willing to let them go over to the one who is able to bear them, and it's because he cares for you. He really cares. And then when you see the next verse, these are tied together. You see, if you're one of those people tonight that just continues to carry your burden instead of trying to lift them off of you and placing them on the Lord, the devil is so excited about you because you see, look at this next statement. Because the devil is going about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, you are going to be tasty to the devil if you continue to carry the burdens of your life and do not let the Lord lift them up off of you. You need some help. We forget about our own selfishness and our selfishness kills relationships. When my relationship with you is about me, that relationship will die. If my relationship with my wife is about me instead of about her and me, that relationship's going to die. If my relationship with my children are about me and what I demand and how I think they ought to behave and all the kinds of things that I want, my relationship with my children will die. It's true with any relationship. Selfishness kills relationships. It seems to me, and I could be wrong here, but I do not think I am. If you're not in a good relationship with the Lord tonight, it's not about the Lord being selfish and not reaching out. He's done everything he can do. He sent his only son, the only one that could do what Jesus did when he was here in the world, to die for our sins, totally unselfish. And Jesus, every step he took in this world was unselfish. But if you're walking away from God and you refuse to come back to God, it's about you. 
not about God. It's about you. And so we let our selfishness get to us and we don't get it done. John Bunyan said, you can do more than pray after you've prayed, but listen to this. But you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. We need prayer in our lives every day. Prayer should be a priority, a first resort with us when we have problems. Perhaps tonight, as we think about our world, our needs, and our God, our prayer should be perhaps, show me my great needs that only you can meet. We've selected an invitation song. It's the Lord's invitation. It's not the elder's invitation. It's not the church's invitation. It's not Roy Sharp's invitation. It's the Lord seeking you to come to him if you have a need. It may be that as an erring child of God, you need to come and pray to God along with this group that you'll be forgiven. And I know most people in this room, and they are good people that will forgive you in a breath. And we know God will. It may be that you're so troubled in life, it's not that your spiritual life has gone way out. You just may need prayers of good people. What a super group to come before to pray. But if your need is to be born into the family of God, where you really then have the right to call God your Father, you should do that. You should be baptized into Christ, repenting of your sins, confessing His great name. What a blessing for you. What a blessing for this group. If you need to respond, we ask you to do that now as we stand. And let's sing this song. sheds on our way while we do his good will he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey Not a burden we bear, not a sorrow we share, but our toil he doth richly repay. Not a grief nor a loss, nor a cross, but is blessed if we trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Then in fellowship sweet, we will sit at his feet, or we'll walk by his side in the way. What he says we will do, where he sends we will go. Never fear, only trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Be seated, please.
Brother Roy, thank you for that lesson. We always appreciate having you come back to Estes with us. Uh, we have these announcements. Uh, first, our prayer requests. Uh, Brother Tony Kirk received the results back uh, from his surgery, and he's told that the doctors did detect cancer, but they feel like the surgery was successful in removing everything. Lane Hardy, this is Sandy Craven's cousin, is currently in a coma. Brittany Hunt, uh, this is Tamara Lockridge's sister-in-law, I believe, uh, 